Well, John, I can tell you this because you're my friend. <laughs> but that was not a very memorable introduction. <laughs> In fact, if I had not said anything about it, probably none of you would have even remembered it. But as we begin today, I've got to tell you about one of the more memorable introductions I've ever received. It was some 12 years ago, I was speaking at the American Public Health Association's national meeting in Washington, D.C. And uh, we were presenting one of our, our first peer-reviewed papers from our work at the Lifestyle Center of America. And as it came my time to speak, the moderator came up and he gave me truly an amazing introduction. Because after he finished making some remarks about my background, he said, Dr. DeRose is also affiliated with Loma Linda University. At the time, I was still working on my preventive medicine residency with Loma Linda, and they actually contributed to some of the work we had done in that paper. But I was not prepared for what would come next. Some of you, Loma Linda graduates, no doubt know the kind of things you might hear in a session devoted to complementary and alternative medicine when Loma Linda was mentioned, right? Dr. DeRose is also affiliated with Loma Linda University, but we will not hold that against him. I was not laughing. It was an amazing introduction and an introduction to how some Adventists and how Seventh-day Adventists and how Loma Linda was regarded in some circles in the holistic medicine and complementary and alternative therapy field. If that's a surprise to you, hopefully it's not now. And if you're thinking that's great, Let's pray together. <laughs> Father in heaven, you've been reminding us already in this conference of who you are, of how you've commissioned a people to represent you, of how you've given us the health work to break down barriers and to point men and women to a sin-pardoning Savior. Father, as we look at contemporary trends now, in the world around us, we pray that you would guide my mind and guide our minds collectively, for only you know where you're taking each of us on that individual journey and that collective journey as health professionals and as supporting team members for this last and final work. With that in mind, we look forward to what you are going to do, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All of this begs a very important question this morning. Are Adventists, or at least Loma Linda trained physicians and dentists, really antagonistic to holistic medicine? I mean, that's what I was faced with because as I talked with this fellow after the meeting, it came out that his main connection with Seventh-day Adventists and with Loma Linda was through certain individuals at Loma Linda who were in the quack-busting field. And he perceived Loma Linda to be anything but friendly to complementary and alternative therapies. 
Is this a reputation that we should have? I mean, some of us might say, well, that's great, but I wonder. Let's look at what holistic medicine is as we try to evaluate, first of all, whether this is something that's just going to pass, we really don't need to worry about it, or whether it's something we need to be concerned about and we need to very carefully look at our relationship to it. Here's a definition for you. Holistic medicine is a system of healthcare which fosters a cooperative relationship among all those involved, leading toward optimal attainment of the physical, mental, emotional, social, and spiritual aspects of health. It emphasizes the need to look at the whole person, including analysis of physical, nutritional, environmental, emotional, social, spiritual, and lifestyle variables. It encompasses all stated modalities of diagnosis and treatment, including drugs and surgery, if no safe alternative exists. Holistic medicine focuses on education and responsibility for personal efforts to achieve balance and well-being. Well, you read through that, you say, oh, that, that almost sounds like a, an Adventist medical or dental description, doesn't it? It sounds very balanced. Well, you say, well, that's the Canadian Holistic Medical Association. Of course, they're going to put their best foot forward in publishing a definition of holistic medicine. But as we talk about this, another field quickly comes into view, and if you've studied anything about the demographics of holistic medicine and complementary and alternative therapies, you're obviously asking a question. Is there an overlap between holistic medicine and what is called CAM, complementary and alternative medicine? Well, many alternative or natural therapies do have a holistic approach, says this resource, although that is not always the case. Some of the world's health systems are holistic in nature. This encyclopedia goes on, including naturopathic medicine, homeopathy, and traditional Chinese medicine. Now, some of you are starting to get very concerned because if you're like me, you've already opened up your packet, and even if you don't have a bag with you like mine where you throw things and lose them, I actually have a copy of Dr. Noy's book. And I actually appreciate Dr. Noy's. He's shared material with us before and has personally shared material, very practical material on some of these complementary and alternative therapies. You start listening to some of them and you start looking at some of their background and you say, well, holistic medicine, if it keeps company with these things, do we really want to be called holistic? For the sake of today's presentation, I'd like to talk about complementary and alternative therapies as synonymous with holistic medicine. Some of you may want to quibble with my choice there, but they're very similar. They're not technically equivalent, but we have lots of good demographic data that's being collected presently about CAM modalities. This is where most of the medical uh, demographers are looking, and uh, we will be speaking about these somewhat interchangeably as we go through this presentation. One of the premier uh, experts, experts in demography when it comes to this subject is uh, Dr. David Eisenberg at Harvard. And uh, here's a definition from a publication in Annals of Internal Medicine in 2001. Complementary and alternative medical therapies also known as integrative or unconventional therapies have been defined as those interventions neither taught widely at U.S. medical schools, nor generally available in U.S. hospitals. So you say, well, what then is this talking about? 
We now have a National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, part of our National Institutes of Health. And they define CAM as a group of diverse medical and healthcare systems, practices, and products that are not generally considered part of conventional medicine. They go on and they inform us what conventional medicine is in case we needed to know that, but that's simply what we often call synonymously Western or allopathic medicine. It's medicine practiced by those who've got MDs or DOs or allied health professionals, and it goes on through a list, and you say, well, this is starting to sound confusing because can't MDs and DOs practice alternative or complementary medicine? Well, it acknowledges the boundaries between CAM and conventional medicine are not absolute, and specific CAM practices may over time be widely accepted. So let's just step back and talk about what CAM is, complementary and alternative medicine. These are the areas when people speak about holistic medicine they're typically speaking about today. Complementary simply means together with. It's where someone is utilizing conventional practices and they're also using practices that may not be considered conventional. Here's an example. Someone's using aromatherapy to help with pain after surgery. So they've actually done a surgery, they've given anesthesia, they're using conventional uh, pain relievers post-op, but they're also using aromatherapy in complement with conventional therapies. Alternative procedures would be those done in place of. So instead of taking the antihypertensive medication, using garlic to lower blood pressure or trying garlic to lower blood pressure, depending on your preconceived ideas. So the question before us then is holistic medicine, complementary and alternative therapies, is this just a passing fad in America and in the world or is it really a permanent fixture? Do we need to reckon with this as healthcare professionals today? Do we need to be looking as Christian and Seventh-day Adventist healthcare professionals at how we relate to this in light of ministering to people, winning their confidence and ultimately pointing them to the Savior? And in fact, as we ask the whole question, are Adventist practitioners really in general favorable or antagonistic to such practices? I suppose we could find out by taking a poll this morning. I'm not prepared to do that, but uh, it might be interesting, wouldn't it? Well, is it really here to stay? Uh, the Gale Encyclopedia of Medicine that I've quoted from a few times already, they remind us that holistic medicine is really nothing new. It's been around for centuries in many cultures, even in the Greco-Roman world that we often look to as being our uh, intellectual uh, predecessors, if you will, of course not spiritually, but intellectually. Let's look at a study. This is probably the most uh, important study in recent history looking at complementary and alternative medicine. Uh, Dr. David Eisenberg, who I mentioned earlier, uh, published back in 1993 in the New England Journal of Medicine a demographic study about the use of complementary and alternative therapies that really got the attention not only of the public but the medical community. Let's look at a little bit about what Eisenberg found and published in that 93 study. This was a representative sample of the United States. It was a phone-based interview study. And uh, in that study, they found that 34% of adult Americans had used CAM therapies, so these unconventional uh, therapies in the past year. 
Actually, those who were educated, more highly educated, or had higher incomes were more likely to have used these therapies, not less likely. The majority were not using these things for cancer or some last ditch effort to save a few years of life, but they were using them for chronic medical conditions. And among those who used these unconventional medical therapies, they weren't doing it in contradistinction to taking the conventional medical route. Over three quarters of them were also working with conventional practitioners. But amazingly, the vast majority of those individuals were not informing their medical doctor that they were using such therapies. Kind of an interesting dynamic, isn't it? And it kind of begs some questions that Eisenberg and his group would later look at and that we'll explore today. This is a graphic of the type of therapies, uh, type of conditions that therapies were being relied on for. The CAM therapies were, be, were used for things like back problems, allergies, arthritis, insomnia. I mean, if you have a primary care practice, this sounds like, I mean, this is the kind of things that walk through your door every day. This is what people are using these complementary and alternative therapies to address. Now, the political climate and the medical climate have dovetailed as we've looked at changes in our public health structure and in our national institutes of health. Because back in 1991, legislation was passed that set up an office of alternative medicine under the NIH. It was just a pittance of the NIH's budget, $2 million, which is close to nothing, the grand scale that the NIH operates. But complementary and alternative medicine had its foot in the door, if you will, uh, in a political sense, in the bastions of academia, if you will, as governed by the National Institutes of Health. Seven years later, by 1998, that Office of Alternative Medicine was elevated to the level of a center. And so now you've got an NIH center, it's the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine, giving much more stature to this whole area. So this huge public interest actually has driven, and the legislative initiatives have driven, really something that many health professionals have not been comfortable with, even people in the ranks of the NIH, many of them. In 2005, this report was published by the Institute of Medicine. It was entitled, Complementary and Alternative Medicine in the United States. It gives us just a further glimpse of whether this is just a passing fad or this is really something here to stay. Not only is it being entrenched in our national institutes of health, but what's happening as far as individuals. This looks at data from 1990 through 2002 about a 12-year span, and you see here the percentage of people using what have been labeled complementary and alternative medical therapies going from a third of the population to nearly two-thirds of the population. What's going on here? And how should we relate to it as healthcare practitioners? And are there opportunities here for the gospel? Doors that were either opening or closing I would suggest that there are, and if this is seeming like a dry, boring, statistical lecture, I will tell you that uh, if it doesn't get controversial before I finish, you're all much more like me than I thought. The National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine looks at five different divisions of these alternative 
and complementary practices. There's a whole alternative medical systems, mind-body interventions, biologically-based treatments. You might think of herbal therapies as a main example of that. Manipulative and body-based methods, so chiropractic, massage, things like that, and then so-called energy therapies. Look in this 2002 data set that I referred to earlier, what the majority of people were using that was labeled as CAM. First one, number one, 43%, what is it? Prayer for someone's own health. The next one, nearly 25%, prayer by others for one's own health. And then you see around 20%, natural products and down around 10% and below, deep breathing exercises, prayer group again, meditation, chiropractic care, yoga, massage, we're down to 3% when we're talking about diet-based therapies. Very interesting, isn't it? That when they look at demographics, what are people using for complementary and alternative therapies, what is it primarily that they're relying on? Yeah, they're relying on prayer and spiritually-based therapies. In fact, so important is this in the whole area that we're going to notice something very interesting is happening in the field of studying holistic and CAM practices that you'll see in a minute. But before we get there, all of this might be begging a question if you're not aware of the data. Why are people using this and why are more people turning to CAM therapies today more than ever before? Eisenberg and his group have looked at this question as well. Another nationally representative telephone survey. What they found is that individuals, similar to the work they had done before, were using these therapies. They were not telling their primary care doctors about it. And then they actually, in this study, got reasons. Why aren't you telling your doctor? What do you think some of those reasons were? Well, they asked them questions about it. First of all, one of the things they found is that many of these individuals, these are lay people, these are the people walking through our, the doors of our practices, they felt that CAM therapies were more helpful for things like headache and neck conditions and back conditions. Some of you are thinking perhaps chiropractic, especially maybe in that context, at least in the minds of lay people. More helpful. But when it comes to things like high blood pressure, no. Conventional therapy, the average person viewed as more efficacious. Here's the questions they asked them. Do you think that using both conventional and alternative therapies is better than using either one alone? What kind of response do you think they got to that question? 80% agreement. These are individuals who are using these CAM therapies. They feel like they're getting the best of both worlds. They're using the conventional, they're using the alternative. Here's another question. Do you think alternative therapies are superior to conventional therapies? What do you think they say? Actually, they disagree. So they don't think that these alternative therapies, these complementary therapies, are necessarily better, but they're looking for other resources to utilize in their self-care. Do you see the picture? Do you find your alternative medicine provider spends more time with you than does your conventional medical doctor? What do you think about this one? Yeah, I thought that was an easy one. But actually, surprisingly, it was about even. 
No, not clearly spending more time with them. 50 to 60% also disagreed with these two statements. You believe your providers of alternative medicine offer a more understandable and useful explanation of your medical problems than your conventional medical doctor. And the second one, you feel as though your alternative medicine provider is a better listener than your conventional medical doctor. So the alternative practitioners in these humanistic qualities are not necessarily blowing away conventional practitioners. It's just that people are saying they want something more. They want more ownership. They want more care in their disease process. They want more involvement. Remember, multiple statistics showing large percentage of them not bringing conventional healthcare practitioners into the equation. Why is it? Here it is. Here's some of their reasons. 61%. It wasn't important for the doctor to know. By the way, they could give more than one of these responses you'll gather here. Another 60%. The doctor never asked. How about this one? 31%. It was none of the doctor's business. Here's another one. The doctor would not understand. That's interesting, isn't it? Their doctor would disapprove or discourage their cam use. Not the majority, but still a significant percentage. And even some thought their doctor would fire them if they disclosed their use of cam therapies. So what the question becomes, really, at least in my mind, one of the questions, are health professionals no longer paying attention to the most frequently used CAM therapies? It's a very interesting question as you look at the literature. Because what, far and above anything else, led the list on these CAM therapies? Prayer. You know what's happening now in the literature? You're not going to see percentages like this anymore, 62% using CAM therapies. Because now, when they're reporting data, they're excluding prayer. Isn't that interesting? 2007, National Health Interview Survey, published uh, about two years ago. Complementary and alternative medicine use among adults and children in the US. It's illuminating in what they don't know. Well, here's the percentage now they're giving. And they're taking out of this equation prayer. So now you're back down to 38 and 36% for those using CAM practices. And so as you look through the data, um, this is all available, uh, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine on their website, as well as other sources. But you can get all these slides if you're interested. But if you look at this, you're saying, what is different? And what's different is in all of these graphics, prayer is gone. One of the problems is patients don't feel that their doctors care. Their doctors are not listening to them. Their doctors are not inquiring about the complementary and alternative therapies that they're using. The main one that was being used was prayer. And now even the demographers are saying, we don't care about whether they're praying or not. We're not even going to count it. Now you say, Dr. DeRose, that's an unfair way to look at the collection of data. I mean, you don't want to have such, you know, there's really good reasons why they're excluding prayer from the equation. Maybe it's now considered an acceptable conventional therapy. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. And so you see things about echinacea and fish oil and flaxseed, but you don't see anything about prayer. Are there implications for us as Seventh-day Adventist healthcare practitioners when it comes to ministering to patients? I mean, are you, I mean, just like Dr. Nedley shared last night, he's talking about prayer, right? It's almost people are begging us. They're begging, they're, they're, they want their doctors engaged in spiritual discussions. They want their dentists involved spiritually. They want people praying with them. And this is the most frequently relied upon complementary and alternative medical intervention. So here's another question that it begs as far as the climate that we're in and what opportunities there are for us as Seventh-day Adventist healthcare professionals, why are so many Americans turning to spiritual approaches to healing? Why is it finding its way to the cover of news magazines? Don't ask me why they have a woman with her midriff showing for faith and healing. I, I guess that's uh, trying to utilize different methods to sell magazines. Interesting PBS special a while back, documentary called Faith and Reason. I believe it helps us come to an answer. Um, it's not that you needed to rely on this for an answer, but this program is talking about the whole postmodern world in which we live in, and uh, they provide this definition for those of you who uh, need a refresher. Postmodernism is post because it denies the existence of any ultimate principles, and it lacks the optimism of there being a scientific, philosophical, or religious truth which will explain everything for everybody, a characteristic of the so-called modern mind. We're in a postmodern world. What does that mean? When you, as a healthcare practitioner, say, well, these complementary and alternative therapies are no good. You know, they're not proven. And uh, what, what, how does someone with this mindset evaluate what you're saying? How are you looked at already? If this is where the perspective that you come from. So do patients really feel that their doctors and dentists are not open-minded enough? What, what's the use? Why tell them? They think they got it all figured out. They're still living back in the past generation. Now is there a parallel then with God's people being physicians to souls. You see, if we're not connecting with our patients, and I'm, not speak, I'm not trying to indict us as a group here today because I know that many of you are engaging with your patients on a spiritual level, that you are praying with your patients, you're praying for your patients, you're uh, interacting with them on this deepest level of complementary and alternative therapy. But at the same time, is there still some type of disconnect with some of these complementary and alternative therapies? And I'd like to suggest to you, what I think is controversial is I believe that most of us are missing opportunities and closing doors because of how we relate to these so-called complementary and alternative therapies. And I'll explain in just a few minutes. But let me look with you at just a parallel here. You see, if you haven't been noticing, many Christians today are getting labels. And when you identify yourself to some thinking people 
you will likely conjure up in their mind certain images like intolerant, arrogant, elitist, xenophobic. We could add other things. Are you with me here? Can you see how Christians would be labeled this way? I'm not speaking of you individually, but do you see how Christianity as a whole? Now, there's an amazing Bible verse I want you to look at, because we're talking about complementary and alternative therapies. I believe there's something here that we often gloss over that we need to pay attention to. In Romans 1, verse 20, the today's English version puts it this way. Ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made. Let me ask you a question. Do Christians have uh, a monopoly on seeing God's hand in nature? No. What does the verse tell us? Verse tells us everyone, right? Everyone has had a revelation of God in nature. Part of what I do quite a bit of is working with indigenous people. I do a fair amount of work with Native Americans. And Native Americans, before there was ever a Bible introduced to North America, I believe because they lived very close to the land and nature, many times had clearer conceptions of the Creator God than some of the Europeans who came to, quote, convert them. I was vividly reminded of that some years ago when I was in the Dominican Republic and saw the monument to Columbus. It said, for evangelizing the New World. And what history tells us is that basically the Europeans exterminated the indigenous people of Hispaniola. Interesting juxtaposition, isn't it? The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Do you think ancient Indian people who practice Ayurvedic medicine have had some clear conceptions of the true creator God? Is that possible? Is it possible that individuals practicing traditional Chinese medicine in those systems of care, which Dr. Noyes rightly points out, the cosmology is bankrupt. The framework for these systems is bankrupt. But does that mean that everything that's being used in those modalities is something that we should avoid? Something that we should condemn? Something that we should uh, look down our noses at? Are, are you following along with me? So my premise is that God is revealing to us that nature is giving a revelation of him. Granted, it is not a complete revelation. We need the scriptures. We needed Jesus to come down here and live for us to have a clear vision of who God really is. But cultures that have lived close to nature have seen, to some extent, this true creator God. And as a result, oftentimes they have identified things in their environment that have sound, rational, therapeutic efficacy. Is that possible? So a better understanding of God and his ways is to our benefit regardless of our culture. Look at this uh, statement here that is given to us in Isaiah 48. 
Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. Is God willing to teach people? Is he teaching people who may have not had the benefit of having the scriptures? So hopefully we're catching a glimpse here of something that I think is actually controversial. I say it's controversial because I notice most of the time in Adventist circles, when we talk about complementary and alternative therapies, we want to tell people how wrong they are and how bad these things are and you know, how these uh, mystical systems, we've got to stay totally away from them. I'm not saying that we should embrace them. I'm just saying there are pa patients that are walking through your doors every day and they're embracing some of these systems. They're not telling you about it. And they may one day ask you about it. You know, what do you think about uh, Ayurvedic medicine? Oh, that's all the devil. You know, don't go there. Well, they've already been using Ayurvedic medicine, they think. They've been taking turmeric. You aware of turmeric? It's an Ayurvedic herb. It has anti-inflammatory properties. They feel they're getting benefit from it. You might think it's a placebo effect. You might cite literature that thinks the effect is real. But whatever it is, they are attributing it to Ayurveda. Now, I'm not saying that validates the system. It doesn't validate the cosmology. But do you see here that if we close doors where people are at, we're not in a position to win their confidence. Do you realize that oftentimes you are being judged by your patients? They'll float something out there. They know something works because they've been doing it for five years. They finally get up the courage to tell you. What do you think of chiropractic, doctor? Well, it's a bunch of hogwash. You know, it's just placebo effect. Only mental, uh, you know, mentally deficient people get benefit from that. And they've been seeing a chiropractor for five years. And they've been convinced it's been giving them benefit. Are we, you tracking with me here? Is there an opportunity here to meet people where they're at? Now, I'm not saying that we, we want to muddy lines. But I'm saying that in all of these false systems of cure, there's often truth. Are you with me? You say, well, that's the way Satan works, David. You know, he gives some truth. That's how he gets people in false systems of cure. But how do you get someone out of a false system? Is it by the first time you meet him telling him it's crazy? How can we build bridges with people who are embracing these complementary and alternative therapies? One way is to show a spiritual interest, isn't it? And to be willing to pray with people, to be willing to show that you're interested in something more than just conventional medical therapies. I would say that's one take-home message this morning. But the other is, how can we build bridges with people? They are, many of them, following systems that are false. Have you ever talked with someone who's really deeply into some of these uh, therapies that we would say have no scientific basis? And uh, you start listening to some of the advice they give. They diagnosed one of your patients with liver cancer. You know, they examined their foot. They took the home course in reflexology, you see? And they examined your patient's foot. Your patient's not been feeling well for a while. And they tell your patient they have liver cancer. You know they don't have liver cancer. I mean, maybe you just, you know, you've had liver function tests and you've done other studies. They don't have any liver cancer, at least nothing that anyone could detect. But then this alternative practitioner puts them on this liver cancer cure program. It's a vegetarian diet, you know, lots of pure water, regular physical exercise, 
meditation. Are you starting to follow along? You see, so they give all of these principles that are true, or many that might be true, combined with some that are false. And do people many times get better? Yes. So how do we work with those people? I'm just trying to encourage us to be open-minded as we work with people, not blurring our medical objectivity, but having compassion as someone comes to us saying, can we see through their eyes? Can we see what they've been experiencing? You know, it's very interesting if we look at Jesus' model of ministry. You know, when Jesus met the woman at the well, did he condemn the Samaritan system of worship? Was that the burden? Did he give a, a lengthy description of why the Samaritans had corrupted the worship of the true God? Did he do that? In that story, as Ellen White comments on it, she says, Jesus presented, you remember the two words? Something better. Something better. You see, can we find common ground with people? You know, that's good. You know, you're, you know, you've gotten rid of your meat, that's tremendous. But can we even show them something better? None of these systems has the true God of Israel behind it. What do you think? Do you think people would be flocking to alternative care practitioners of false modalities if it was known? If we were doing all as Seventh-day Adventists that we're putting the true system of medical care to the fore, what do you think? Would, would we have to tell them, don't go to this uh, crazy system down the road, or would everyone be trying to beat down our doors, or at least those who are spiritually open? to the message that includes, as we've been reminded a couple of times already, testing truths, right? So we don't want to underscore these false systems of cure. We appreciate people who've made this clear for our people, because there's Seventh-day Adventists who get caught up on this. We need people like Dr. Noyes making clear where these systems come from, but at the same time, as you deal with people who are entrenched in those systems, can we come close to them? Can we find places where we can agree with them? And can we point them to something better? So like I've been telling you, the example of Ayurveda, there's fascinating things in the medical research literature today that many thinking, um, East Indian practitioners, they don't believe in Ayurvedic cosmology, but they still use some of these Ayurvedic remedies. And we, I mentioned turmeric, but do you know the statement that we read in the spirit of prophecy about sleep before midnight being better than sleep after? Do you know, as far as best I can research this out, that was not original with uh, Ellen White. This goes back to Ayurvedic traditions. Now, don't you think that was dangerous for Ellen White to say something that Ayurveda was also saying? I mean, think about this for a minute. Someone might think she believed in Ayurveda, right? You say, well, that's ridiculous, just because they had something. Which, but why, why do we have to have this, this attitude that we can't come close to anything that any other system of care has touched? Are you with me? Insights into healing herbs. We mentioned turmeric. 
Gymnema Silvestri, Holy Basil, we could go through this. And if we had time today, I could show you a number of slides about Ayurvedic herbs and scientific publications that are showing potential benefits for blood sugar control and blood pressure control. Um, satiety uh, inducing effects in gymnema, for example, but there's scientific research that supports some of these plant constituents that East Indians have used, that traditional Chinese practitioners have used, that indigenous people in Africa and in North America have used. So just because it's wrapped up in, one, in a system that is based on falsehood doesn't mean that there's no value in it. Am I underscoring this point too much? Am I you know, uh, belaboring a point more than is necessary. And the reason I'm doing this really is because I think we've missed the ball as Seventh-day Adventists. Yes, like we've heard today, the emphasis always in God's counsel was on lifestyle and lifestyle education. And here's just another statement like others we've heard already today. Councils on Health, page 90. Pure air, sunlight, abstemiousness, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. These are what? The true remedies. Every person should have a knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them. It is essential. How optional is essential? No. It's essential both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and to have a practical training that will rightly enable one to use this knowledge. But you know what? There's also statements in the spirit of prophecy that some of us are less comfortable about even in this room. We like to talk about lifestyle medicine. Yes, that's the foundation. But the spirit of prophecy also underscores some of these systems that outside of prayer are some of the major complementary and alternative therapies that are being used throughout our country. And these are these so-called botanical and biologically based therapies. Here's Ellen White, a cup of tea made from catnip herb will quiet the nerves. Now I don't know for a fact, but I would hazard to guess that when Ellen White wrote this, there had not been done at that time a randomized controlled trial looking at catnip for the soothing of nerves. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would doubt it. She goes on, hop tea will induce sleep. Are these medical claims? Maybe these are medical claims, okay? Hop poultices over the stomach will relieve pain. If the eyes are weak, if there's pain in the eyes or inflammation, soft flannel cloths wet in hot water and salt will bring relief quickly. What is her basis for saying these things? Well, it was inspiration, wasn't it? I believe it was. When the head is congested, if the feet and limbs are put in a bath with a little mustard, relief will be obtained. There are many more simple remedies which will do much to restore healthful action to the body. All these simple preparations the Lord expects us to use for ourselves, but man's extremities are God's opportunities. What is the focus here? She's pointing us back 
to some of these age-old, these traditional therapies are often incorporated into systems that are not true systems of cure. But there are true systems, natural remedies, simple things, in addition to the lifestyle measures that God called us to be involved with. Look, if we neglect to do that, which is within the reach of nearly every family, and we ask the Lord to relieve pain, when we're too indolent to make use of these remedies within our power, it is simply presumption. God has caused to grow out of the ground what? Herbs for the use of man. And if we understand the nature of those roots and herbs and make a right use of them, there would not be a necessity of running for the doctor so frequently, and people would be in much better health than they are today. Do we have a mandate to be expert in lifestyle medicine? Yes, we do. But do we also have a mandate to study, to do research, to be expert in the use of these other therapies? What do you think? I would suggest we do. I've told you that something better is the watchword of education. That's Ellen White writing in the book of education. It's the law of all true living. Whatever Christ asks us to renounce, he offers in its stead something better. We could look at many illustrations of this, but it's time to close. And I want to close back where I started, back there, November of 98, the American Public Health Association meetings. Because from then on, I began to get more involved with people at the Office of Alternative Medicine and people in the complementary and alternative medicine field. And I became very distressed. Because as I saw the kind of funding that NCAM was giving out to institutions, nothing was going to Adventist institutions because we just weren't on the map when it comes to some of these therapies I've just been mentioning. I'm not talking about lifestyle therapies. We're not really on the map there as much as we'd like to think we are. We're happy to quote other people. But if I were to give anything today, and it's for myself too, it's a plea for us to do what God called us to do. I believe God has called us to do natural medicine research. We could look at many statements like this, but this is one of the final ones I have this morning. As reformers, we are to what? Reform the medical practice by educating toward the light. Medical Ministry 125. How do you educate the medical practice today? You do research. And there are some people in our ranks doing clinical research on natural remedies, but there are not many. It takes incredible resolve on an institution or a group to do this kind of work. But we can look down our noses at various systems of care, but if we don't do something to show that we have something better, that the Lord uses many of these true systems and puts them in the context of Christ and his healing power, then I believe that we are dropping the ball in this day and age. At a time when people more than ever are looking for complementary and alternative therapies, we need not only to emphasize that great complementary and alternative therapy of bringing our patients to Jesus in prayer, but we also need to be experts in the use of natural remedies and we need to be doing 
the clinical science to do it. This is a hard thing for me to say because I got some of my students here today. They're going to probably take me to task on this. And I don't know how we can do it. I, Dr. Nedley's here. I don't know if Weimar at this point has the institutional resolve to do clinical research, if we have the staffing to do it. Some of you say, well, I'm just a clinician in practice. Closing illustration, and I think I have his picture here. No, I don't. But um, I had the privilege some years ago of working with Ernst Winder. Dr. Winder was one of the people that made the connection between tobacco smoking and lung cancer. Do you know what kind of background Winder had to do that research? You know where he was in his career when he did it? He was a medical student, medical student. So before any of you disqualify yourselves from doing research because you don't have enough training, there's people in this room who have more training and I believe the Lord is interested in us as Adventist health professionals not only to uplift Jesus but to uplift his true healing methods and to do it in a way that validates the true and leads people to say they don't have to look for anything else because God has a complete system of care. And it all comes under the two things we've been hearing about, the teams working in cities and sanitariums, Adventist health institutions, whether it's your medical practice that's growing into its own, quote, sanitarium, or whether it's an existing center. I challenge you to seek the Lord for what he wants you to do in light of this juncture that we're at as far as American medical demands for something bigger than what allopathic medicine is offering. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you've called us for such a time as this. And we just pray that as health professionals, you'd give us clear minds to know exactly what you're calling us to do. Many of us just seem so overwhelmed with the day-to-day -day that we say, well, how can we do anything else? But Father, here in this room, you've brought together a group of people who share that vision. We're hearing the kind of calls that you've given us as a people. We've looked at where we are in the trajectory of Earth's history. We've looked at how you have given, how you've entrusted the Seventh-day Adventists the very things that people are clamoring for today. Help us to know how better to communicate that message so that people will realize that there is the true living fountain in you, that they don't have to go to the broken cisterns of the world. We thank you that you're anxious to do that. I don't know how to do it in my life. I know many of us struggle with the same thing. Please give us more clarity as we continue to study and pray and fellowship together this weekend. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.